1985, the great baseball pitcher Tom Seaver, some of you will remember him, he was on the verge of winning his 300th game, which few pitchers have done. And before going out to the mound for the last inning, he went over to his nine-year-old daughter in the box seats and he said excitedly to her, three more outs to go. And she responded, good, then we can go home and go swimming. Our kids have a way of humbling us, don't they? <laughs> but the problem with humility is as soon as we've got it or think we've got it, what? We've, we've lost it. Dr. Harry Ironside, the, the pastor of Historic Moody Church in Chicago, was once convicted about his lack of humility. And a friend recommended as a remedy that he march through the streets of Chicago wearing a sandwich board, shouting the scripture verses on the board to all who will hear. Dr. Ironside agreed to this venture, and when he returned to his study and removed the board, he said, I'll bet there's not another man in town who would do that. <laughs> in Romans chapter 12, before the Apostle Paul shows us how the Holy Spirit equips us to serve God and serve one another with these marvelous, greatly diverse gifts as the body of Christ, and how he calls us to useful service as living sacrifices, he gives us a lesson in humility. Humility that comes from a renewed mind. You remember that Paul has explained in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 that we're not to be conformed to this evil age, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we prove in practice God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. And it's significant that the first aspect of a renewed mind that Paul mentions is humility. Humility. Paul is describing for us how the renewed mind thinks. How the renewed mind thinks. And in verse 3 of Romans chapter 12, in the Greek text, Paul uses the verb to think or a compound of it four times in one verse. This shows us that humility or pride for that matter, is a matter of how we think before God. Now the point is, we, we think we can hide what we think. We think we can hide what we think about ourselves, but we can't hide it from God, can we? In the renewing of our minds, we're called to develop a mindset before God where we constantly judge or discern our dependence upon ourselves, where we must have a mindset of not depending upon ourselves. It's not what we can do, what we need, what we want, but rather we affirm our gratitude towards God in our complete and total dependence upon Him. Remember the Apostle James exhorts us in James chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and what? And He will exalt you. He will raise you up. So as you come into Romans chapter 12 in the third verse, Paul's emphasis here is on loving relationships where we serve one another in love and humility. And he introduces that subject of serving one another and using our spiritual gifts by confronting our pride and exhorting us to humility. And quite frankly, if you think about it, pride is at the root of all relational conflicts, isn't it? Where he has humility is the foundation for godly loving relationships. We all see it in toddlers. 
who selfishly grab a toy claiming, that's mine, that's mine. And the other toddler fights back trying to get what he thinks he has a right to play with. And while we may grow more sophisticated in how we do it, all of adult conflicts are rooted in this same self-centered pride. And so Paul says, I say to everyone among you, everyone among you, he's emphasizing that this is not something only a few of us need to work on. Every one of us need to work on it. Pride is endemic to the fallen human heart. And so in verse 3, Paul is telling us it is vital for each of us to develop true humility in light of God's gracious gifts to us. And so in verse 3 of Romans chapter 12, we see the proper attitude that it takes to be used of God. And that attitude is one of a heart totally given over to God. It's an attitude of humility. So verse 3 of Romans chapter 12 again. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Paul says, through the grace given to me. Look at how he personalizes that. Through the grace that God has given to me, I say this to everyone. True humility always keeps God's grace in mind. It's only by grace, it's only through grace, Paul says, it's only because of grace that I can even say this to you. Now what is grace here? Now all of us as believers have experienced God's saving grace, haven't we? For by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. All of us as believers, if we are believers, have received in Christ saving grace, God's unmerited favor. But that's not the grace that Paul has in mind here. Grace is still grace, but now it's a different application and uh, the way God gives grace. Here, grace is the specific grace that called Paul to be an apostle. Paul to be an apostle. So look back at the first chapter of Romans, the, first, or the fifth verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 5, where we'll see that it's the grace of God that ordained Paul to a position of authority, to the position of an apostle. Paul would say, and he is saying here, it's all of God's grace. Not because Paul deserved it or earned it or made his way up the ladder or had particular talents that God could use or, or went to a class or a seminar on how to be an apostle. And when you graduate, you become an apostle. It's all of God's grace. God didn't look down at Paul and said, wow, this guy can really help me out. <laughs> look at what Paul has to offer. Verse 5 of Romans chapter 1 Paul says it was all of Christ, all of Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Paul had received from God the call to preach to the Gentiles. He had received from God apostleship. As Christ himself on the road to Damascus had come to him and confronted him and saved him and called him into to ministry. And Paul repeats this over and over again in his letters. He was an apostle of, by grace, of grace. In fact, you can find uh, biographies, as it were, about the apostle Paul, and a lot of them like that title, the apostle of grace. Not only does he preach grace, he was a recipient of grace. 
So he's an apostle by grace, not because he deserved it, not because he earned it, not because he had something special going for him. And that's what he's saying. I'm saying this to you through grace given to me. Now, Paul could have said to the Romans, as an apostle, I am saying this to you. He could have pulled rank. He could have exercised his apostolic authority. And quite frankly, he does that a lot with the church at Corinth. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they need to hear. But in a verse on humility, you don't pull rank. That's the point. So what he says is, look, I could pull rank, but I want you to know that my rank has nothing to do with me. It has to do with what? God's grace. God's grace. So there's a humility here, even in the way Paul refers to his apostleship. Paul is saying, I say to you, I'm speaking to you as one who has authority, and that authority has been given to me by Christ himself, but it was not given because I was worthy. In fact, Paul writes to Timothy, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. It's all of grace. The fact that God would use any of us, or use anybody at all, is all of grace. It's grace. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ. Everything of Paul's ministry and his apostleship was of grace. So look at verse 6 of the 12th chapter of Romans. It's the same when it comes to the gifts of service, the spiritual gifts that God gives to each one of us. It's, it's not because we are worthy or because we have something going for us. God gives spiritual gifts for service according to his grace. And he says in verse 6 of, of chapter 12, Since we have gifts that differ according to, to what? To the grace given to us. Gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We have gifts. The word translated gifts there is the word charisma. We get the word charismatic and charisma from it. The, re the root word is charis, which means grace. Charisma, grace, gifts of grace. If, if your name is Carissa, if it's Karen, if it's Carrie, it means grace. Your name means grace. Charisma, gifts of grace, literally, a free gift according to the charis, the grace given to us. It's all of God's grace. So don't think that you have a particular spiritual gift or you have a calling or you have a ministry because you're worthy or because you earned it or because you had something going for you that others don't, or you went to the right seminary, or you did this, or whatever the thing, thing is. But also don't think that because you have been given a particular gift, that somehow you're more spiritual, or, or higher, or better than others. It's all of God's grace. All of God's grace. So verse 3 of Romans chapter 12 for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, 
do not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. The Greek word translated think is phroneo. Phroneo, to think or compound, is used four times in this verse. And the phrase to think more highly is a compound word. It's phroneo, which is think, and then it puts the word huper in front of it, from which we get the word hyper. Huper. Huperphroneo, or hyperthinking. It's to have high thoughts about yourself, to have an inflated view of oneself, to think too highly of oneself. Paul's saying, don't overestimate yourself. And so this is a caution against pride. It's an exhortation not to judge ourselves by our talents, by our wealth, by our function, by our achievements, by our abilities, or how important we think we are. Don't judge yourselves by the position you might hold in society or, or even in the church. It really is the sin of pride. It's the sin of exaggeration. Paul says, don't overestimate your value. Don't overestimate your gifts. Don't think you're the world's leading evangelist if you're not. Or that you're God's gift to the church. <laughs> or to where you work. Because you're not. Don't overestimate yourself. Because there's a very ugly sin contained in exaggerated self-esteem. And the Bible says, the Lord hates a proud heart. Don't have an inflated view of yourself. Or rather, as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but what? Gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Rather than having an exaggerated view of ourselves, we are to think of ourselves in the right mind. In the right mind. A few weeks ago, Jan said as she was talking about my health problems, something about Bill's not right. <laughs> and I've been thinking about that ever since. So, so I hope it's not my mind. They did a CAT scan and they did all that kind of stuff. And so, so I hope that's not what it is. But think of ourselves in the right mind. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 12 again, and we'll just keep coming back to this. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but, here we see the contrast, the adversative, but to think as to have sound judgment. Sound judgment. It means to be of sound mind. This is phroneo, to think, with an S-O in front of it. So phroneo. And what this means is to have a sound mind. Uh, the word is used to the formerly demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5, verse 15. Remember that man that he, he was demon-possessed, and I, I think that might have been the one that said the legion. You know, he talked to the demons and said, there, there's, we are legion, there's many of us. And so, so Jesus cast them into the pigs, and the pigs took off running, and they ran over the cliff. And, and the herdsmen, we don't normally think about this part of the story, the herdsmen came back from the cliff. You know, they followed their, their pigs, they went over the cliff, they, they came back. And when they came back, they observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed in his right mind. There's our word, sophronero, sound mind, sober thinking, sometimes it's translated. In his right mind, right mind. Now this tells us 
something more about what it means to think too highly of oneself, to have an exaggerated opinion of one's self. The exhortation is to not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, hyperphroneo, hyperphroneo, exaggerated thinking, but so as to be in the right mind, sophroneo. You see, to think more highly of oneself is not in the right mind. You see, conceit, egotism, it's treated as a form of insanity, as insanity. If a person doesn't think about himself the way he ought to think, he, he's out of his mind, we would say. He's, he's insane. He's not in his, his right mind. If someone is living an illusion about who they really are and what their capabilities really are and, and what their gifts are, they are living out an illusion. They're, they're not in their right mind. In their opinions of themselves, they really are out of touch with reality. They do not think soberly, as some translations put it. And as one Bible scholar put it, they are in danger of becoming egoholics. Egoholics. The, the psychological word for egoholics would be narcissistic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> narcissistic. They suffer from narcissistic personality disorder. They are superior to everybody else. They can do things better than everybody else, and they want to make sure that you know they can do it better than everybody else. They're more important than everybody else. Their accomplishments are better than everybody else. They behave in a way that is arrogant, that is haughty. They take advantage of others to get what, what they want. They are hyperphroneo. They have an exaggerated view of themselves. And Paul is saying to the Christians in Rome, don't go there. Just don't, just don't go there. As believers, those of us with a sound mind, we should model a humility that places the rights and the welfare of others above our own. Paul exhorted the believers at Philippi, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than ourselves, yourselves. In his commentary on Romans, J. Denny wrote, to himself, every man is in a sense the most important person in the world, right? Yeah, to ourself. So, he says, it always needs much grace to see what other people are. It takes a lot of grace to see what other people are and to keep a sense, he says, of moral proportion. What does he mean by that? It's this moral proportion, as well as not thinking too highly of ourselves, that means we should also not think too little of ourselves. We shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, but don't think too little of ourselves. Paul says we are to think as to have sound judgment, sober judgment. So don't think too high of yourselves, but also don't think too low of yourself. Godly humility is not thinking too low of yourself. It's not thinking yourself as a worm. I can't do anything. I'm not anybody. Nobody likes me. God doesn't even love me. Those kind of things. And, and I'm just the most humblest person in the world because I'm, I'm just dirt, 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 dirt. <laughs> you are a recipient of God's grace. You are a recipient of God's grace. Not only the grace that saved you, but the grace by which God has gifted you for service. 
Our gifts differ according to the grace given to each one of us, but each one of us does have gifts. You are not nothing. You are not someone who can't do anything or is incapable. Not at all. Rather, as verse 6 of Romans chapter 12 says, again, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, according to the grace that is given to us, we're all recipients of God's grace. Therefore, let each of us exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, for example, according to the proportion of his faith. God, grace is God's favor. It's his unmerited kindness on his part, which is the only source of that, what we can do through him and for him and for others. Like Paul's gift of apostleship, that was his spiritual gift, his position in the church. God's gift to you is all because of God's grace. Not because you deserved it or earned it or made your way up the ladder or had particular talents that God could use. It's, it's all of God's grace. But don't fall into the false humility trap. Oh, there's not much I can do. Or I really don't have anything God can use. Or since I can't preach like so-and-so or sing like so-and-so or, or do what others people do, I, I, I don't have anything to offer. All spiritual gifts, gifts of grace, all of them, each one of them, each person is necessary for the building up of the body of Christ and perfectly designed by God for his glorious purpose. The humility that God requires and honors does not overestimate, neither does it underestimate his gifts. But it estimates them rightly and correctly and uses them rightly. Every Christian can test. God has gifted me. He has gifted me graciously and lovingly. And he will give me by his grace everything I need to use my gifts effectively for his glory. Therefore, I thank him and bless his name. The Lord provides exactly what he wants for us, and he provides everything we need to serve him according to his will. He won't call you to do something. He won't gift you to do something unless he gives you everything, graciously gives you everything that it takes. He gives us the grace, and then we see that he also gives us the faith that we need. He gives us grace, and he gives us faith. Uh, the middle or towards the end of, of chapter 12, verse 3 but to thank us to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. If you, if you come to terms with the fact that Paul says here that God measures out faith in various measures. That he measures faith to you in various measures. Different than anybody else. Then you will think with sound judgment, you'll not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Now, some in the church at Rome in Paul's day and in other churches then and now were evidently saying, and we still hear this today, well, grace may be a gift, but faith is an act of mind that receives and uses that gift. So I can be pr proud of my faith, and I can think highly of, it, of my faith. It's something I can take credit for. But Paul is saying, that's not thinking with sound judgment. That is thinking more highly than one must think. Because even though faith is indeed in the human heart, 
Faith is first a gift from God. Verse 3, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. God gives grace and God gives faith to receive the grace, and so all boasting is excluded. To grasp this is to be freed from thinking more highly than we should, and it's to be able to think with sound judgment, to have sober thinking. Now, the word of faith teachers that are on TV today want you to believe that faith is something you must muster from within yourself. And you've got to come up with your own faith, and as soon as you have that faith, you can do great things or have God do great things. And you can produce great faith so you can get great things and do great things. That is not sound thinking. That is not thinking with sober judgment. That is not right thinking. It's not in the right mind. I'll even go as far as say it's crazy. It's crazy. Now, someone might say, well, yes, perhaps God gives faith once at the beginning to all his people so they can be saved. But, but the differences in our faith are our doing alone. And whether a person has small faith or another has large faith, that, that's not God's doing. No, that will not stand before verse 3. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Literally, to each God has measured a measure of faith. The clear meaning is that God measures different measures of faith to different people. And this is mentioned in verse 6 as well with the gifts beginning as he talks about prophecy. According to the proportion of his faith. This is a reference back to the measure of faith in verse 3. God has measured to each a measure of faith. So the first way Paul shows us what sound judgment is, is by telling us that he and we fulfill our role in the church only by the grace that is given to us. And secondly, he says that the, the different measures of faith that we have are owing to God's measuring out different measures of faith. So we cannot think more highly than is necessary because... All that we have is by grace. And even the faith to receive is a, a grace, a gift of God. So when we take this with full seriousness, seeing God is the sole author of the gifts, and seeing ourselves as totally dependent upon him for them all, it's unlikely we're going to be arrogant. Humility stems from genuine faith. But there's another important thought here. When we see that God is the giver of all the gifts and faith is the measure, we're not going to deny our gifts either. Being sober-minded means recognizing what God has given us and being zealous in its use as well as, as humble. And we'll see that in the rest of, of the chapter. It's a recognition that, God, that all faith comes from God and humbly in serving him. But... Uh, but, Pastor, you said that faith comes from God and he measures it out as he, he wills. Well, can't our faith increase and shouldn't we have more faith than we do? Yes. God is the giver of faith. He is the source and he measures out the measure. But how does he do that? Turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 7. The 10th chapter of Romans, or verse 17, rather, verse 17. And he says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Or some of the translations will do, from the, say, from the ancient manuscripts, 
the word of, word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What, what is Paul telling us here? It is the word of God that produces faith. It's the word of God that produces faith. Someone could receive faith from God while hearing a sermon, teaching God's word, or, or someone else by, by reading and studying their Bible or reading about Jesus or hearing about Christ. But faith is not the product of a preacher's compelling presentation, his eloquence, or even his theological soundness. Faith is given through the message of Jesus. This is the means that God has has chosen. And also it's good for anyone who wants faith to ask for it. God freely gives what is good to all who ask. And it's good to ask for an increase of faith. God, give me more faith. I'm facing a situation, give me more faith. And what does God want us to do? He's saying, get into my word. See what my word says about this particular problem or situation or this person that is a problem person in your life. I remember reading in scripture that Jesus prayed for Peter's faith to be strengthened. God wants us to have strengthened faith. As with any gift of God, it's our responsibility to exercise the gift and and not become complacent or lazy or or apathetic or or high-minded. You know, so as Christians, we can find comfort and peace of mind knowing that our faith comes from God. I, I don't have to muster it. I don't have to do whatever, whatever it is somebody's telling me to do to have more faith. Or, and I don't have to feel guilty when somebody says to me, you don't have enough faith to do this, Pastor. And I go, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. But my God can. And I will trust in him. And when he sees me through that problem, my faith that was too little, oh, ye of little faith, when I see that God works, what does that do to my faith? My faith goes up here. And then God brings another problem along. And as soon as I get into God's word and see God work and trust in him, my faith is up here. And through that process, in his word and what he is allowing me to go through, faith is increasing. It is increasing. So we don't have to feel guilty when somebody says you don't have enough faith to believe so and believe you're going to get such a sight. No, I don't. <laughs> and I don't have to because I trust in, in my God. So there's, there's peace and comfort knowing that the grace that we need comes from God. The faith that we need comes from God. Because he said he would finish the good work in us that he started. God is the author and the perfecter of what? faith. And then I thought of Psalm 25, 9. God who leads the humble in justice and teaches the humble his way. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, it is a comfort. We can rest in you, knowing, God, that all good things come from you, Father. And you have called us to a purpose You have given each one of us spiritual gifts from your Holy Spirit and through your Holy Spirit, which we can serve and do your will. And then when we falter and think, well, Lord, I I can't do that, and you come to us and say, you're exactly right. (laughs) But in me and through me, God, you say that you will even give us the faith that we need in order to carry out your will. 
to serve others, to serve you, God, Father. You give us the faith. You give us the grace. We thank you, Lord, that we are totally and completely and utterly dependent upon you for all things. And I thank you for the freedom that that gives me. In Jesus' name, amen.